0: Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It's great to be back, y'all! Season 3 of Grow Rugby Show!
1: I think the minute I stepped on a practice field for rugby, the calling happened. Uh, An eight-year
0: plan to be on the team, and I was in it within two years.
1: Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro, right? Like, I like doing something Look. Stopping and learning from it. Like it just looked like it was a heavy hit. If gets up,
0: it's not up. You know, like, that's the first time I played like professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And those two Scottish guys, and I said, Oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. Rugby is a sport where that's often coupled with actually having a good time. he looked at me and he says, You guys are awesome. We are here, man. It is nice to be able to be with you guys again. I am Gift Gift Time, a Balu, and this is the show where we speak to people about the opportunities they have found, created, or taken advantage of via rugby, y'all, y'all. It's been some months. I missed y'all. I miss y'all. There has been a lot happening. Look, what was what, going on? We had the Olympics go through. We had the British Lions tour going through. Uh, 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 we've been dealing with COVID in its own special way, but we got 99 straight games of MLR that's happening. We got announcements for games, all blacks versus USA, all blacks versus Ireland, which is going to be really indicative in who what we're talking about for today. Like we have gone through, but oh man, look, Look, you know, sometimes you you don't realize how much you miss being able to talk to people until you're not able to talk to people anymore. And I got to say, I miss talking with you guys. Um and just, just hey, because we got to get it all old school. Guys, now that we're back, now that we're in it, we're, we got a new lineup set up. We got some great guests coming up along these next several weeks as it gets uh, into the next season of Rugby Union going through. But guys, please don't forget to like. Don't forget to share this and absolutely subscribe or follow to be able to get more of this Grow Rugby because we are still bringing out the show. We want to keep informing you. This is the era of culture rugby, all right? We We are bringing cultural rugby. We are going around the world, and we are going to show that this sport is an ecosystem, all right? We want to develop the ecosystem. We're going to establish the ecosystem, and we're going to keep you guys informed about what's going on in the ecosystem because we got great stories, great people, great things happening across the board, some Olympians, all these presidents, uh, uh oh my goodness, this, this, is a, this is a wild one. We're going hard this season. We're going hard this season. We've had a really good one all this time. So I hope you guys enjoy, but most importantly, I hope you guys know how grateful I am to be able to talk to you guys and have you guys listening in each and every time. Uh, it's, it's 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 a pleasure. It is truly, truly a pleasure. So I'm really happy to have it back. But in the meantime, we got an amazing guest that's coming up. Mick Feely, I, if you guys haven't heard, he is the president of the Citizens Rugby Foundation, an initiative that is all about being able to establish, really, a rugby ecosystem that is a self-sustaining, developing, and actually thriving concept to be able to put together for rugby moving forward into the future, and, and even now in the present. Mick is based out of Colorado, out of Glendale, Colorado, owns uh, owns the Bar McMullen's Irish Pub based out in Glendale, Colorado, with the former coach for the then-national champion, Glendale, Colorado, women for the WPL. Like, this guy has been in. He's got an amazing story. But more importantly, he's got an initiative, and he's got a, a, a vision of the future for USA Rugby. And not the organization, but literally Rugby in the USA, that he feels and is looking. And we have a great one where it goes to talking about what needs to be done to be able to make sure that this sport – actually is thriving and and surpasses the expectations that have been uh upheld to this moment and i i loved it it works well for my business mind but i think it's going to be very interesting and it goes back to opportunity i think it's something that we should all definitely definitely consider um but guys yo if you guys haven't gotten a chance please take a look back at the past episodes if you're getting if this is gonna be the first time that you guys listen to something definitely look back at these episodes because we had some great guests coming in a couple Olympians we got some really good Rugby World Cup leaders we got uh, leaders of the community union presidents. Uh, amazing, uh, just amazing groups of people to talk to uh, across the board, and just so, 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 so much more coming through from all walks of life and creeds and identities and everything that's going across the board, man. It, it, it's this is this is what the rugby life is all about. This is what the rugby like culture rugby, baby culture rugby. So, guys, you guys enjoy. I hope you guys take this in. Just know that I truly, truly appreciate you. And in the meantime. Please enjoy the great, the awesome Mick Feely of Citizens Rugby Foundation. Rugby, 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time A And we have an amazing guest for you today. This is this is one that is looking to basically change the way that USA rugby or maybe better yet rugby in the U.S. is getting presented. And I actually I'm, I'm very interested in the positioning Mick Feely, come, uh, the founder of <clears throat> Citizens Rugby Foundation, uh, Mick Mullins Irish Bar and uh, just an amazing story that's about to go down. Mick, man. I want to say thank you for coming through.
1: Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: And so I always like, I I always love saying wherever I got a chance to see people first. And actually, you know, uh, obviously you showed me the video before. And I I feel I've been to your bar before. I I feel like I've been, like, I was, like, literally, I was watching it. I was like, this looks so familiar to me. I can't people, like, it's, it's, it's right out. You said it's in Endonville, but how close is that to like Glendale? And everything.
1: Um, we're in Englewood. It's about a fifteen-minute drive, maybe five six miles. So it's really close to the
0: – It's clearly just really next to the, the the stadium there.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I live about a mile away. It, I drive about fifteen minutes to work. If you head um, south on Colorado to Hamden, yeah, then you take Hamden West. It's another five minutes. You need to they hit. I've been there.
0: The one time that I've been out to Glendale, Colorado cuz it looked every time i kept looking at the colors i'm like this place looks so familiar but anyways uh unofficially <laughs> the 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 officially the first time getting a chance to uh to see your name was uh in the citizens in the actually the waking giant um p uh post that you put up on twitter and i had saw someone share it uh either on twitter and facebook and i was kind of seeing the concept and the idea and not going to lie it, it was something that's curious it it's curious cuz it's not the first time that I've seen somebody have uh, a gripe with USA rugby but the presentation that you had of a whole something that was familiar to me cuz not against it but uh it was it was a presentation and then obviously you know shared friends with Tozon and and then obviously reaching out so it was like okay this was already something I wanted to to talk about and I love being able to talk directly to the idea people and not around it. Cause I don't always buy everybody's basic explanation. I think there's always something a little bit different when it comes inside, you know? So, uh, you know, just even for you on it, uh, just starting off, like the idea of citizens rugby, the waking giant, like in brief, like kind of what, what brought the idea to start launching it? when you did to start the announcement for it, which, when you did, this was what
1: last week, two weeks ago, give or take. Um, I mean, I've been trying to do this for, well, the, 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 the portal page, waking that domain has been active at least six months. Um, I'd like to say we had a stealth mode approach, but, um, no one really pays too much attention yet. we haven't had that much attention so very very difficult to try and put the message out there but um ultimately um what forced us to adapt for McMullins, um i had I had identified um several problems with the way club rugby or even professional rugby was operating, mm-hmm. and governance um in the us and that we were overly reliant on single revenue streams and not adequately capturing capturing multiple others and it was the same thing for mcmullens and my background i went to the university of east london basically next to the olympics and studied the olympics so i'm taking these sort of global concepts and i'm applying them here locally and um i've tried to convince clubs in the past in denver i've talked about it before That kit was the way to do it because it was the cheapest and easiest to involve everyone um, with the quickest return right and, and and there was no real proof of concept so i always said that glendale when they built a stadium should have built a clubhouse first and so we built a clubhouse first um mick mullins built a profitable business despite covid proved some of the concepts in terms of um you know why or how we should go about capturing some of these revenues, and then use that to buy the building. Despite COVID, uh, last month, so we're here to stay. We're permanent. We've we've existed for a year. We've got four members, and we own our own building.
0: Nice, dude. I love it. All crazy, right. crazy. It, it look. I, I, you know, I, I always have to preface this, man. I wish it had not gone down the way that it did. But, and and the loss of life is always devastating, but during the pandemic, the level of clarity that was achieved by so many people, including myself, and it seems it also helped add on as well, like, has been a unique change. And I think in this post-pandemic world, especially for rugby, the idea of a cultural-based rugby is what the future is looking like, and I think that comes very key to the developmental development of the commercialized, the industrialization and uh, of rugby in the U.S., which I don't think has been done uh, well. It's only been maybe seed starting, I think, with a lot of us, and maybe within the last ten years that you're starting Definitely. to see it. So. Uh, I felt like the pandemic kind of pushed it. But before we continue on to this, I want to get a little bit of the origin story because every superhero, we want to get every superhero's origin story. Yes, my friend, you are a superhero in this situation, you know. So to kind of get it started, Mick, how did you get started in rugby?
1: Um, I was six years old and I was at primary school, Marion Vian Primary School in Elmer's End in Beckenham in Kent. Um... And a friend of mine, David Bennett, asked us if, and I'm a twin, so he asked me and my twin brother if we wanted to go to rugby on Sunday to join in. We did, and that was the end of that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Just open it up. I (laughs) mean, this is based out in Ireland,
0: (laughs) right? So this was already like in where? In Southeast London. Southeast London. So, I mean, okay, this is one part that's always interested me. How much does rugby penetrate in? Because I've always had this theory about how rugby, despite being a global sport, never reaches outside of that third rate, that third level in majority of countries, England included. So how much at that point, other than your friend is telling you, did it penetrate into your guys'
1: day-to-day culture? (sighs) Um, my first love was um, football, Chelsea Football Club. And despite being two-footed, I am useless. <laughs> so that dream went out the window, and I think I knew that probably by the age of five. <laughs> so I, I think um just couldn't kick a ball to save my... I can kick with both feet now, but there's no skill. Right. Um, and then... It just really, like, my home club, they, Beckham, they, they didn't start a, a youth program until the late 80s. Wow. I, I think I started in 1991, and it was totally off the radar. Um, it just so happened that where we lived, there was a, a cooperative sports ground behind us with a football team. So my dad and my uncles would go there on a Sunday for a drink. We would go there in the morning, like, watch games. And then that closed down, and the next one over was the rugby club. So both of those things kind of happened at the same time. And happy coincidence, my dad and my uncles found a bar that was, you know, 300 yards away. So (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't too bad. And the kids could go and run around in the mornings and play. And, and yeah, just that was the routine, I think, from six years old to – well, I used to go around there every Sunday, even if I was coaching –
0: So whenever it was, was there was there a a moment for you where it was just like this is a sport for me? Because look, everybody, especially when entering the football, like everybody has, you know, obviously I guess you you realized early, but you know, you always that seems to be the most attachable fandom, you know. So for you, like even at that young, like where was that moment where you're like, you know what, yo, rugby's the one for me. Like I'm
1: here to go hit these guys. Might not be able to kick this ball, but I can kick some ass. Um, I, I didn't really get the bug as a player. Well, there's two, there's kind of two elements to it really. First, when we were seven, we won the under eights County Festival. Oh, nice. And there's the picture in the, in the video that I showed you, um, with me and my twin brother on, on my dad and my cousin's shoulders. Like there's a picture of us in the stands with the trophy and things like that. And, um. I just remember staring off into the distance thinking, "Oh my god, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life." <laughs> um, I was never particularly good um, as a player. I got I got better I got better when I was about 14-15. I really caught the bug. And um, I stopped really playing competitively when I was 21, 22 because I broke my shoulder twice, but I've been obsessed with it ever since I I started coaching when I was 15 helping out with the minis and um, did the level one, did the level two, went to university, got a degree, traveled, been to Canada, been all over the U.S. coaching, playing, I mean, I'm here, I've got, I'm I'm living the dream. <laughs> no, this is like, this that's, 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 a, that's wildness because- I met my wife playing, like she was, I coached my wife and then we got married when I stopped Oh dude that's awesome. Wait, was she was she playing with the WPL at the time or Yeah. Well she oh. broke her arm the year that I was coaching, but then she came back played the year after she won it 2015. Um she's really really fast. Yo. So if you watch some old highlights of the 2015 Glendale Raptors Kelly Mullen, you <laughs> know. <laughs> I also like the fact that you guys uh slowly
0: have have the combined career of uh Destroying your bone, the bones in your arm together, it brings it all. That's true
1: as well, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: No, but that's that's. I think that's something that is so interesting because of the fact that a lot of people there seems to be this this difficulty of being able to find the career outside of rugby through rugby, like not outside of rugby in terms of like outside, but I mean as outside of playing rugby. To be able to find that career path and consistently be able to intervene it into your your day to day. So to be able to be like, yo, look, I did this from day one and I was able to to find it. And it basically became that tree of life for for everything else is legitimately uniquely interesting, especially let alone in the US.
1: Um I, I didn't I didn't do it from day one. I mean, like I've had ups and downs. Um Success in business, failures in business. I think, um, you know, my my greatest successes have always been immediately preceded by my greatest failures.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, isn't that life right there?
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. You just get up and you counterattack. That's a rugby thing. I think I'm I'm stubborn like that. Just get up and keep playing and keep trying to move forward. Do you think um, that oh,
0: – I'm sorry.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, I was gonna say, like that 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 world vision, that I guess that world that that self-philosophy, like where would you kind of attribute being able to develop that? Because I, I know we all understand, you know, life throws everything at us, but how we react to it always differs. You know, I, I'm in the same realm as you, but you know, for you, like to have that constant roller coaster, especially across across nations. Like for you, where does that – where did that kind of start from? Did that start from the six-year-old kid uh, getting used to the ball or the 15-year-old that's getting – that was able to coach and you're starting to see the process? Or is that something that's just ingrained even within the Mullins family and that you guys kind of grew up with?
1: Oh, God. I, I think some of it is just my own kind of obsession. Um, but a lot of it is just being around people – that love rugby as much as you do and want to talk nonsense about rugby as much as you do. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a bar at the rugby club listening to the 50 year olds, 60 year olds talk about how good they were, tell lies about how good they were. But it's aspirational for the youngsters. And it's so, that that's the positive side of like being nostalgic because when they're sharing those memories and telling those tall tales, it's, a, it's an important part of rugby culture, the social anyway, um, not just to share with your opposition, but to share with your teammates, your old boys. Um, there, it, there's a right of passage element to it. You know, like when you're old enough, you can have a beer if you score for the first team. Or, you you know, culturally, like back home, if you, if you scored a hat trick, you had to buy the team a jug. So being a try hog like see that's a big 10 point jug of beer <laughs> not like these little american pictures i'm talking a legitimate
0: like made of clay even you know, of uh what are they, they in the middle east you always see those like giant clay jugs full of wine yeah. kind of things i love it
1: but, um, <laughs> no it's, it's important and there's you know and, and not only just for the cultural piece, but McMullins is critical economically. Um, I think I took the career path that I took because I always wanted to try and find ways to make my rugby club better, not just uh, rugby wise but um, business wise right. and and ultimately McMullins can do do business seven days a week, and that, is, that gives it a significant advantage against my rugby club that's only really busy. Thursday evenings after training and Saturdays and Sundays, right? They've cut off 50% of their, their revenue generating opportunities, right? The same thing if you think about Mile High Stadium. Yes, they've got 60,000 people, but they've only got eight games a year.
0: So, yeah, something got no. It's it's interesting because I, I know this has been a concept, uh, uh basically the business model that has been always talked about i so i've been playing since oh nine and i remember from almost day one it's almost like the the preferred way of building a rugby club is if you first build the bar then build the club around it so in like new orleans they literally did that they have their rugby bar and through that rugby bar they have been able to Gener- it, it's the centerpiece of what the club has been. And by no accident of its own, I, I don't think it's any coincidence that they've had a very successful um, a very successful program for the last decade and a half, even uh, whether what has now developed into the New Orleans Gold in that development. But I always wonder, though, if it was – do you feel like it's necessarily that it would have to be something like a bar, or is it just – any place that gathers people together allows uh, allows that to be a um, a source of revenue for a club. In it, for instance, so it could be a shop, it could be a you know uh, uh, you know a bookstore. I, I don't know, like it, it's whatever it is that could create some kind of trend where the players can congregate together and, and share time together, both opponents and, and teammates?
1: It, it could be anything. I mean, if, if you hire a park and, and bring a, a food truck in where they do a pig rest or something, or someone's got a backyard, and you can have a cookout. Um, any time people are going to get together and, and socialize and sit down and stuff, there's, there's opportunities to generate revenue asking them for sponsorship. There's donations or, or contributions for the event. You can charge for the event. You can get those things sponsored. There's all kinds of ways to, you know, lower cost. If, if you can't necessarily make a profit, at least do it where you break even or, or reduce the cost so much that you will profit somewhere else later on. Right. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a bar. It just happens that, you know, when I was at college um, or even before that, I, I basically I worked in a bar. I did construction. I did coaching to earn a living. Um, yeah, working four or five jobs a week. <laughs> after The last, after the last um, economic downturn that was talking in, about the 08, 07, 08 time. Yeah. 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 I just started college and then trying to get jobs and trying to get a job outside of college. I went on the dole for two weeks. Took money twice. Couldn't do it. Well, I took it once. I had to go back a second time. I couldn't do it. No. So I'm not. No. I had to go work, do something. Just.
0: The struggle is too real, and that's. That I think this is part of the. This is. It, it's an interesting part of this rugby journey. And obviously, you you had to be able to lead through a successful WPL uh career that's led you to Colorado uh and, and going through it, getting to to this point. But, I, I again, I, I want to emphasize on the fact that the the breadth of it, of what the process is, has always been difficult. But it's it's something that I feel has been consistent, not just in the U.S. in rugby, but I feel like almost every other rugby country outside of New Zealand that you see this same kind of, like, what is the way that we can generate revenue as a rugby system, let alone a rugby community, let alone as a rug, individual rugby clubs. So – For you, you know, going off the video, because I kind of want to gonna fast track to twenty seventeen and and where you know this waking giant citizens rugby kind of really spurred off from. So for you, going into twenty seven, what what was going on and led to I'm gonna call it your awakening?
1: Um actually it was before twenty seventeen and it just when I left Glendale, um one of the general feelings was that women's rugby is not commercially viable and it's wild to given my education and understanding, I suppose, of sport and sports economics, I suppose, I think, um, I just reexamined that, that idea and decided that actually it's not, we're just not doing it right. And, um, Basically, if you think about, say for instance, there's 120,000 members of USA Rugby at its peak. Say that's the number today, right? Mm-hmm. The um, average person' gross domestic product is something like 67 grand. Right. So, 120,000 members of USA uh, Rugby or of the American rugby community, they contribute seven and a half plus billion dollars to the U.S. economy. Right. So we just you should be able it. to glean something from that. Right, but, but we're all losing money. So surely right. the way we're doing it is wrong. It's funny you bring up New Zealand. Um I, I my my sort of impression is the way people are trying to do things is to repeat the model of, of the Northern Hemisphere clubs or the Southern Hemisphere clubs and, and this top-down approach. Right. And and frankly, New Zealand rugby union are selling part of the all blacks because that model doesn't work hasn't worked and has lost them a fortune everyone lost money yes but but it's been this way forever yes we're overly reliant on revenue streams from certain areas whilst completely ignoring others or licensing them inadequately and not not receiving enough of a revenue share um why why we why we keep doing it I, i don't understand because If the number one brand, rugby brand, on the planet, the most successful team in the history of sports, right, the New Zealand All Blacks, if they're broke, what the fuck are we talking about? Excuse my language. No, no, please, because I'm not
0: going to lie. This is the number one thing that has driven me crazy when it comes to rugby. I remember whenever I first started doing Gift Time Media, and it was actually one of the early reasons why, I kept looking back at what was the the salaries of the average rugby player. You got the number one brand in the world. And I'm looking at not even a close average salary of $50,000 per player, which was at the highest level, at the Ooh. highest level, which is insane to me for a sport that's been around for 100 and something years. And of course, the history of it has always been very just, uh, just terrible when it comes to business. It has been the worst business model sport, I think, in 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 major sports history, in my opinion. All right. So whenever you, I would always look at the way that people did it um, here in the U.S., it felt very antithetical to what you would expect from the American sports market. Where again, it goes back to, and this is where I'm gonna, I'm mean, going use political terms, but it's not the political affiliation, but I'll call use the political terms. I'll call it rugby socialism, you know, as opposed to rugby libertarianism, where it's everybody's congregates to look for one entity to develop everything and then just kind of hopes that it's the trickle-down effect after that, as opposed to trying to create individual entities. And even whenever they've done individual entities, like it goes then to the, the, the ability to create the network. So, and excuse me if I go off on a rant because this one, I, this has been sitting in my heart forever. It is, it's why I started my HBCU Rugby Classics. why I did Gift Time Rugby. It's why I do literally everything that I've been wanting to do in rugby sports. But one of the issues I always had was like, look, if, if rugby keeps talking about how much the history is that exists in it, you have these old boys, you have guys who are current, you have young players coming in. I've always believed old boys should be the access point for sponsors, networks, whatever, you you know, people, this is, this is your weight, your ability to know people, whether it's at your own work or whether it's through time. If that has not been able to trickle down to where you're able to intersect into the club that's going on currently, and you're able to build a model around that, that's not just donation based. That's not just create another 501 C three to, receive tax-exempt money that, again, you you have a model that already exists, and then that's not even trickling down to creating a youth rugby path, then this is a self-culture issue as opposed to it being a – and then whenever you see it happening in every country, whether it's Brazil, I've seen this, over in in parts of England, I've seen this in – uh, uh, Nigeria, like literally every, almost every single country that has rugby, the same problem, same issues. So it always questioned me. I was like, why, why do people keep using this? We, we literally see the business model for it in football, in basketball, yeah. in youth soccer, but like, it's just, it, it drove me crazy. So it was like, why, why do we not keep shifting it? Why do we not make this entertainment? Why is it not our model in, that includes rugby? as opposed to replicate the system. So for you, you know, you're looking at it, and I, I'll look at, say, revolutionarily, and especially coming out of a system that that you see what happened in London, you see what happened in New Zealand. For you, the creation of this, this idea, was this more the, the creation that you created for Citizen Rugby, did you feel like it was something more to facilitate in Colorado and then try and see if it's a replicable Business model, or was it? Is it was it always intended to be kind of a universal pillars? Because I'm I'm going
1: into now the diagram. We we, we opened it up. Um in the waking the giant article that I posted on LinkedIn. Um, it starts off with 99.9 percent of all sports organizations are not for profit. And they all have the same universal problem: fundraising. Right. So, um, it, yeah, it was always. It was always on a macro scale. The, the, the point of it is that if, well, it's the basic notion that without opposition, I have nothing, right? right? So maybe being a twin, I've grown up to understand sort of relying on someone else or making sure someone else was okay to ensure my own sort of... Right.
0: So survival through you are your brother's keeper by simultaneously keeping myself together.
1: Right, and it, and I think that if you just apply that to like rugby clubs, and I think um, this is where Americans lose it. They they want to hate their opponents. Right. Um, no, love them because without them, you don't have anything. Right. You got no game. You got no one. You 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 can't play the you can't do the thing that you're supposed to be all about. Right. Mm. So so we have to ensure that if. If if I want to survive and thrive, I've got to make sure that as many of my opposition in the local area are doing the same thing so that I can continue to grow at a rate that they can sustain with me. Right. There's no point in having six teams if everyone else has got one.
0: Right. No. And, and that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I, I do... I do wonder I, not I do wonder, but I do also take into consideration that you you there's sometimes you gotta have the hierarchy like there's just some teams some elements that have to be more proficient in their their execution of the system than others, so that there's always the aspirational point, there's the mid level um capable the mid level majority that is always trying to aim, and then there's always maybe that smaller. More uh, bottom of the wrong that just you know you are a little bit more interchangeable in that sense because I wonder if it, I look at it as itself also creating the competition so it's I don't hate my team but I also respect meritocracy and it makes it so that people actually feel the need to keep achieving more and being more innovative.
1: I mean that's yeah. There's an old adage: "There's nothing better for business that it." in sport than a local rival. Right. Right. So that drives performance. It drives, um, intensity, it drives viewership. It drives revenue. That that's the point. So not only are we dependent on them for our own survival, but it frankly, on our own growth and development right. as it were, what if, if there's no one to aim at people get, what people we... become stagnant or complacent. And, and that's, That's why the life cycle of clubs and success and ups and downs are so interesting. And you see it in in the NFL um, or Premier League soccer, different things and, and youth coming through, you know, the great generations of things like Manchester United or Liverpool back in the 80s. Now you've got this generation of Chelsea or Manchester City. Liverpool again in in the in this last top
0: couple of years as well too. Only reason I know it because of my cousin.
1: <laughs> well, I'm a Chelsea fan, and we won we won the Champions League this year. So, <laughs> especially after losing the FA Cup. But. Um, but I just I think it's it's important that if if that's if that's basic if that's the basic philosophy or principle of of growth and then think about the way we operate within a union anyway um local or national um it's basically the referee to ensure that everyone's following by the by the guidelines the bylaws to make sure that everyone does grow in that in that fashion um, I, I think we've got too many too many people trying to do all the things rather than say let's stick to this specific silo and we're going to focus on on this function not necessarily like youth in high school or adult or club whatever collegiate um but more specifically when they deliver things locally who's responsible for what well the clubs are responsible for customer engagement
0: right right
1: and and so the the unions are there for welfare and communication so they can make sure that there's background checks um fields are in everyone's got insurance waivers trainers all of the protocols are in place everyone's got appropriate training training and education is, is supported and delivered locally handed down from the national governing body the way we work right now is just everyone's everyone's arrival. um i mean there's a it's called co-opetition. right you cooperate I like that compete co-opetition, and and i think we're, we're more heavily leaning on the competition side less on the cooperation side and um, frankly Citizens Rugby Foundation is the beneficiary of uh, a network of businesses um, that span the marketplace in terms of things that our club the Exiles will need Mm -hmm. um, from concessions to merchandise kit and equipment travel insurance and so on and so forth and they all donate a share of the profit to Citizens Rugby Foundation and its job is to support citizens rugby football union um to sort of show everyone how to cooperate there's a there's a duality as well of of sport where we're both the buyer and the seller of kit and equipment if i bought a jersey now and i play in it it's not the jersey being so good that's, that's making me want to buy the next one it's the fact that i'm enjoying myself playing rugby right in it that makes me want to buy the next one so
0: from from that perspective, and and, and I, it goes to the question on, on what you guys want to do. Um, and I, to if you can explain a little bit uh against the grievance that you want to cite a file against USA rugby specifically. Um actually, if you don't mind, can you explain that first and then it'll allow me to actually ask the question because I, I want to make sure I'm I'm asking it correctly.
1: Um long story short, um with the creation of RIM, with the award of the World Cup to um, Giant Stadium and so on and so forth, there are a lot of things going on that were of concern. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the, the sum total of it was that I basically said, listen, if we don't do something about this, USA Rugby is going to be broke, will be bankrupt in a year. Right and and me being me and not really learning i was banging away about this for probably a year um before i filed the grievance and talking about an alternative model which i'm trying to demonstrate but basically everyone said oh fuck off (laughs) (laughs) no they won't no they (laughs) won't and um shut up and and i was so wrong um the bailout came within nine months right from usc rugby that was the first uh, from World Rugby to USA Rugby, that was the first bailout. Came within nine months of me saying, "Hey, this about to go bankrupt. Ain't gonna work." <laughs> um, but anyway, after that, and then what happened in October with Ice? I just, I did shut the fuck up and got on with it. You no, know,
0: but you bring, but it, it, you guys are doing another one again now in August, right? August ninth.
1: No, no, actually. Um, we we don't. I'm not a member of USA Rugby anymore. I'm not. I'm not giving them any money. <laughs> um, There's a phrase I won't repeat. But I'll tell you off camera.
0: All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So um, okay. So,
1: so so the challenge goes to you, uh, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. They are they are the sole arbiter of who is or isn't a national governing body mm-hmm. in the United States per the Ted Stevens Act. Right. The Olympic and Amateur Sports Act. Okay,
0: so I, I guess then the, the the question goes. So for for me, I, I've it it connects everything back together. If the pers- to the purpose of everything, if we're looking at it, is the clubs themselves need to be at least have some autonomy on their development, but do it in conjunction with others. Yep, it would be that. This the the culture for that needs to start internal and then up. I've been a big believer, and again, as I said, that I I've always felt USA Rugby was meant for one thing: deal the high performance, maintain the structure of a consistent ruling, uh, a consistency of rules in the of play in the U.S. So it means that we're all at least on the same page on this and maybe okay, offer the insurance and stuff like that, but basically create a level field for entry outside of that could care less. Don't care about anything else. I'm not a big, I I don't get as much of um, people getting money from USA rugby to help fund grassroots stuff. If they get it cool, but I don't think people should ever be dependent on that. Uh, It's where I think has been one of the biggest crutches. So Within the the con- con- concept for citizen rugby, it it feels like arguably you guys would be setting yourselves up to be of a another national body sort, or at least a an umbrella body to be able to bring people under and 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 kind of distribute. Am I looking at that correctly?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So essentially, with the C- citizens rugby football union, um, the 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 Three Rows logo represents um, youth, adult, and collegiate. So it's the same concept. It is is three branches of the same organism, right? Right. Um, The national governing body's job, right? So a union is there to provide for the collective welfare of the members it does that in two in two ways internally is um, quality control and assurance externally is collective bargaining so examples of that internal would be training and education external would be the insurance
0: right. now
1: now they've successfully collectively bargained in terms of insurance um, regardless of and, and I say successfully in terms they they completed that that task, at least that right. task. Yeah, I would. You know, there's there's a lot to. lot of questions remain about the quality of it, but whatever. Um, so so citizens rugby football union it it provides insurance as well to members. Um, it is better, <laughs> but anyway, um, their job isn't to do all of the rest of this stuff with such a hands-on approach. Their job is to, is to communicate best practices, make sure that there's access to the right information for the right people on the right pathway to, to best deliver wherever they're needed. Um, let, let the MLR develop players. That's what they're doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Just pick from them pick from overseas players and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. There's, there's too many academies left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, frankly, that's a way to cut out the clubs now that they've all been devolved in terms of power. And it devalues clubs if there's an academy that's on the official pathway, but the local rugby club can't provide diddly. What use are we then? Right, right? It's, it's counterproductive um, and harmful to, to a third of the membership
0: right
1: adult rugby and where do you think coaches are going to come from for mini rugby or for collegiate rugby people right. that to to stay, long enough, stay in rugby long enough to to follow it as a career path what are they going to do that through volunteering and working at local schools and clubs and colleges right so but with that in mind though
0: if if So you say that's what USA Rugby, that's what a national governing body is supposed to do. Citizens Rugby works similar. How do you feel, how do you prevent yourself from falling into the same trap? Even though the model seems maybe a little bit more additive in terms of uh, business collaboration, how would you find your, how would you prevent yourself, how would you prevent Citizens Rugby uh, RFU from falling into the exact same, uh pathway of doing of doing everything because again i've always felt like the culture has always been the problem not so much the execution because people are always going to find the simplest uh pathway from point a to point b of whatever the goal that they're trying to be and a lot of times especially here in the states we're not the economic return for rugby has never been particularly high. So volunteerism has been done to death. And I wonder, I feel like that's where everything goes. So how would you prevent yourself from just becoming another Mr. Everything kind of RFU as opposed to a supplement in that way?
1: Um, First, you reminded me of a comment you made earlier there. And I think that, with the five hundred one C three issue and and just another one, uh, basically, people are afraid to make money, yeah. and um, I would even
0: argue vilify vil, uh, vilify the process of making money in rugby, out of rugby, with rugby, all of it.
1: Yeah, um, and I think um, how do we how do we make sure that we stay stay in our lane? I think that means you have to have very strong relationships with all the stakeholders who are the critical partners at the tops of various organisations that you need to talk to. Um, There needs to be much stronger ties with adult clubs to collegiate clubs and and high school programmes. There needs to be much stronger connections to Major League Rugby, to the national governing body and the the local unions where we're all communicating um, about what we're doing, how we're doing it, why we're doing it. And frankly, um, what what that sounds like is a strategic plan, which, frankly, we're still waiting for from USA Rugby. It's it's only been a decade or more,
0: right? I mean, I, I would that, but I, I guess that's where it's like the value that I would feel that S- citizens rugby fu. I'm sorry that sounds off. Citizens <laughs> Citizens Rugby RFU would be um, more valuable as less of a national body and more as a cultural teacher that now is involving these as opposed to something that's overall because you know again I, I don't I I feel like we we we've just started this small process of the industrialization of rugby. I I think it's been from the media side, it, it really started off right after the Olympics. And not to discount people who were doing media, like, prior to 2009, but it, it just it hasn't been as heavy as it is now, whether you say technology or the way that we distribute differs, whatever. But I feel like we've had that different. And that's just been the first step. Kit-wise, I think we've seen so many kit makers that it almost feels like it's the, the over- uh, over a uh, um, uh, saturated market in rugby because it was like once people saw oh you can make a kit oh let's get another person who makes a kit another person who makes a kit now you have all these kit developers and the process of the rugby community has always been less innovation more copy paste so the question go the, the the idea goes wouldn't it be how would one be able to start teaching And as a group, the process of doing differentiation and utilizing different ideas as opposed to trying to help create what I would say more crutches for these clubs where people feel like, okay, maybe there's this three, four, five, six areas that we can utilize uh, as opposed to, you know, oh, they're working on it. Well, let me go rush like even the Mark Cuban concept. I swear if Mark Cuban gives one club company uh, one club money, like every club's going to go to mark Cuban like it, it just nobody thinks anything more so for you do, where do you feel is that process of reteaching the culture
1: oh, I mean personally, I think I'm doing my best to just sort of show people word um because i got sick of talking about it and people go yeah yeah okay i'm some sort of fucking idiot and um now it's working and yeah. and hopefully hopefully they can see that um yeah. you know i i put a video on the chuggers thing on facebook i got told off for not posting the chug video but basically saying you know i couldn't think of a worse idea than mark cuban coming to the rescue because we don't learn the lesson, we have to be able to save ourselves. From what I was gonna say earlier, and I said this funnily enough on viral rugby, right? And and if if Citizens Rugby Football Union, if its job is to teach people how to fish rather than give them a fish, right? Citizens Sports, its job the next day is to feed is to sell them the reels, rods, and bait that they need to go fish. Because right. then part of the profit goes to Citizens Rugby Foundation, right. who can then teach more people with Citizens Rugby Football Union to fish. Right, it makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Like again, it, it, it's what you're talking about. But right? yeah.
0: <laughs> what do we what do we do? All all these friends, Do we need to go into the seat? No, but no, I, I, no. But I, I completely, I get it. I get it. You know, I I think my my question always goes my my doubt goes into the spread to the masses. You know, you, we we have these little areas like, you know, Southern Pines up in North Carolina kind of doing their own thing. I love it. You know, I see what you're doing even here. Like, even for me, like I said, developing something like the HBC Rugby Classic, uh, I'll use it as that, that as an example for myself. One of the things I really hated starting to see uh, – hated might be the wrong word, but – I thought was getting overdone was how much the usage of players as the clients players as consumers for your tournament. So basically you develop an entire tournament and it's only seated by the player itself, but that's not who ends up developing the game as a large. It's usually casual fans. It's usually people who are from the outside in, even like yourself as an example, as a kid, you're not a player, but you found your position at your, and even your dad and uncle found a position as spectators who invest into football for you. It became the coaching and then investing back in and you just find yourself more people are going to be coming from the outside in. So for me, I made a, 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 a tournament where I don't want to charge and I don't charge players because it means nothing to actually developing, in my opinion, the, the sport as an outer bunch, and it puts the weight on marketing and being able to say, let me get spectators. Now, for me, it goes how much of a loss do you handle and go into it, but at least there is a process of saying we, we got to step outside of this, this business model of self-tapping in or else you just end up finding yourself still being the same amateur sport but, you know, and, and the players be, you don't even get to, to, to get the choice literate if that makes sense.
1: It does. And, and I think um, what we're trying to demonstrate is, is that there's an acceptance of cost. Um, there's also an acceptance of um, the need to improve the value proposition of rugby mm. in, before you can increase dues or fees or whatever it is that you charge members. Um, but recognizing that look, these, these things are, are going to be a cost incurred by players somewhere somehow because of the very fact that they just simply want to play rugby right it's called the the participation demand product demand continuum in short to play golf you need golf clubs right and fish you need a reel and a rod and so on and so forth so so if we then say okay well we're all members and the clubs are all members and the unions are all members and the mlr is a member or whatever the purchasing power that that gives us lowers the cost per unit so dramatically that if we still purchase it at market rate and redistribute the profit clubs will be able to invest in in businesses that they could then generate more revenue to them buy land and develop fields mlr clubs will be able to build stadiums because they're profiting not just from selling the the logo on the left you know this. This one is worth only whatever it is that someone wants that logo. Right. One can go on every jersey. The Nike swoosh goes on a Man U soccer jersey or a Chelsea or, or a NFL or basketball. It doesn't matter. We're, we're selling the wrong logo. And and frankly, if, if 99.9% of all sports organizations are not for profit and they have a universal problem, then it behooves all of us to then be a team and just shop and do business collectively, right? Which is the NFL's model. It's Major League Rugby's model. It's Major League Soccer's model. It's it, we're not doing anything different. We're just including more people. We include yeah. everyone, right? And instead of licensing those rights, we're exercising those rights. But we have those same rights as a sports league. And, um, and
0: so, continue. I'm sorry.
1: You know, it, if you think about. I first heard the phrase, the sleeping giant, when I was about 14, and I was curious, and I think deep down, that's always been in the back of my mind, because I can remember the day I heard it, but it's all the money that we spend outside of rugby. That's why I sort of bring up the the community element of it, we're, we're including everyone, because we all buy those things. We all need those things just to participate. Right. So let's profit share. That, that includes kit, that includes travel, insurance. Like, if, you, if you think about desegregation in the US, um, it was harmful to black businesses because black customers went to white businesses, whereas before the black community had a captive market. Well, do we all care about rugby? Yes. Okay. So let's capture our own market and share the benefits.
0: No, I, I, I feel that. I feel that. I wonder if it just then it goes, how do we, and then being able to continue to bring people in, because I think the other thing that I, I've always noticed is the inferiority complex that rugby has. To everything else where it's like, okay, if it's rugby, then it's average, which in reality, loosely I I can also see happens uh, within the black community when it comes to supporting black businesses. But like there's always this, well, somebody else has it. So I'll use like media buying rights. Like I'm a far bigger uh, believer of you create your own platform and develop that out and sell that. Which was conceptually what the Rugby Channel was supposed to be, which I believed in, but I hated their execution. Simultaneously, I, I I loathed the execution. I loathed it, the execution. And you see it again with the Rugby Network. But I see something like, okay, yo, if we get onto ESPN, which I think is another streaming platform at this point, you know, though the audience has a it has a better marketing push, or Fox Sports a better marketing push. But it always feels like, well, we need to go over there before creating our own or leveraging against it. You know, it, where do you see it where it involves still finding a way to be able to enter in newer companies, but also simultaneously still continue to uplift your own?
1: Well, I think the idea is that if people understand the basic concepts of what we're doing, they'll want to partner with us.
0: Right. Understand has a value prop. Maybe,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, what we're doing in our model, in terms of the union and a foundation to support it, and a and a network of of businesses for com- uh, commercial purposes, you know, for profit, that's exactly the same as USA Rugby and Rim and the Rugby Channel. Um, but I'll repeat what I said at the time: rugby on TV charged by the Rugby Channel for people to watch was. Was the powers that be basically trying to ram a, a product down the down the community's throats rather than think about well what are they already buying what are the things that they need what would it what could we help what could we sell them at a discount to help them be more sustainable and grow and so on and so forth is it, you would get the same answers right kit travel insurance and so on and so forth um so in terms of what they were attempting, it was fine. But in terms of understanding, you know, where does TV money come from?
0: From businesses advertising primarily. Retailers. Are you getting a right? subscription retailers.
1: from? Yeah. Because retailers get their money from who?
0: Consumers. It's B to C. You back.
1: and me. So if we if we get to decide where we spend our money, and it's it happens to be with a company that is specifically pointed at subsidizing or supporting my rugby club and myself as a rugby player and my union and my national team and so on or you can go buy nike what are you going to do so it just comes down to choice and understanding that we need to we we need to make a commitment is that some sort of utopian dream yeah possibly but i think frankly if if rugby wants to survive if mlr wants to grow they want to make a profit if if USA rugby not USA rugby but American rugby wants to bring a World Cup, they want to win a World Cup. These things need to happen because we need to find a way to grow the grassroots and the foundation simultaneously. Because without that, the top can't grow. Right. Um, and then I think I'm I'll probably say something largely unpopular because it will be misunderstood maybe, but the inferiority the the inferiority complex of American ruggers um it's not your first choice sport you didn't make it wherever else you went right for me rugby was my first choice and i didn't make it right didn't kill me get over it but most people you know that's the beauty of rugby it's available it's a second or last chance for americans to be to take part in meaningful amateur competition that's what makes it so special it's available everyone's welcome but we're we're trying to make it this elite performance-based model. But there's a glass ceiling on on that model. If you look at the NFL, how many people play professional football? How many people play meaningful amateur com- competitive American football? Right. Even semi-pro or flat right. There's not a lot. It's just not there. People don't do it. They don't bother. That's why America's so fat. Most people, the way the sport model works here through graduation from high school to college to pro It's designed to get people just hooked enough that they will consume for life what will they consume they'll consume beer and jeans and trucks and tickets and flights and pizza and god knows whatever else they advertise during the super bowl and everything like that we're a nation of watchers and we consume unknowingly all the crap they advertise us during sport. And everyone's in on the scam. Of course. And, and we can say, well, let's get people playing instead. That's the single advantage of rugby. Do you want to play a game? Yes, okay. Every kid you ever meet, there's a ball, throw right around. Right? It's not difficult. 70, uh, 70% of kids drop out of. Sport, uh, organized sports when they leave mi- when they get to middle school, right? 70% of kids that are active, not 70% of all kids, right? right. Active kids are roughly around 20% cross boys and girls.
0: No, that's real, it's, like that's real. Uh, but again, it comes back to this is why it's a consumer nation, this is the greatest marketing country in the world for that very reason, and subsequently, how it, it distributes across. So, um but yeah, no, no, I see what you're saying. There's an ability. But again, that's why I go back to does the culture allow it to be commercially viable into that extent? It, it does create the numbers, it does create the elements, but it's the culture, the culture on it. You know, but Mick, man, <laughs> dude, I freaking love this. And <laughs> like, it, it, it speaks to my soul. In the biggest way, Uh, and and, and it's an experiment that I I appreciate, and especially now that I have far more clarity, appreciate even more. Um,
1: It's definitely commercially viable. Sorry to cut you off. Oh, yeah. There's enough of us. We're commercially viable as a community. Right. 120,000 members um, based on some fairly conservative metrics that we've run. Uh, we estimate the U.S. rugby market to be worth about 120 to 150 million dollars right now. Right. So the fact that no one's generating that kind of revenue, or even touching some of it as it as it passes through, um, they're not doing it right.
0: Means, like I said, it means we got to change culture, and this is the work that we have in front of us.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah it's just if you look at the model that that's been an exit well listen if you look at the the USA rugby world cup bid right yeah. feasibility study blah 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 they've talked to over 50 sta- 50 cities with 50 stadiums they're either NFL or college etc if If you don't need to build any rugby facilities then you're not going to build any community amenities that will sustain the participation growth that you need to attend the tournament in the first place right because this is a 10-year run-up if it's 2031. right also they keep talking about 27 or 31 27 or 31. the women are in 2029 why don't they keep talking about that title nine is the answer to everything
0: Oh, my God. Yes.
1: <laughs> the, the, the American sports structure that I'm sort of criticizing. Yeah. And I think rightly so. That's because of the dominance of men's sport. It's actually it's, it's actually a critical advantage in the growth of rugby for females.
0: To be added in. Oh, my gosh.
1: twenty oh, four From 2009, 2019, uh, 23% of participants in world rugby, they went from – they went from something like 1% to 24% in a decade. That was the representation of women in, in, in world rugby.
0: I mean, we even look at it when it comes to NFL jersey, whenever it comes to NFL merch sales. We, a lot of I, The ironic part is that I, NFL merch sales it actually is bought on by, what is it, somewhere around 40%. It's 40% women who are actually purchasing, 40 or 45% women that are actually purchasing. And the, we already know the elevated purchasing power that women have in basic consumer goods is far exceeds that of what men typically do on. Seventy
1: percent of all household purchases made by women.
0: Exactly, I. I the one part that I. I do. Uh, man, I wish I'd met you a couple of years ago, man. Just, just to, just to know that there's another, another mind into that. It, it just, it's a lot less lonely. But I, I it, it goes into that. I always wondered. Man, I even wondered. I've I, I've always believed the biggest advantage has been is the women's side and seeing it, which is why promoting it with whether it's the Olympics over here, whether it is the Women's Rugby World Cup, whether it is been with even the individual uh, tournament games that happen. One of the saddest things I feel that was lost, though I, I guess I understand to a small extent, was the loss of the Atlanta Sevens uh, for women here in the states of being able to have that component because it you completely see from a standpoint from a talent pool and from a personality pool it's easily marketable one of the one of the premier ones here in the US Naya tapper uh watching her do it herself do it herself is been aggravating and impressive simultaneously because it's a complete waste of a talent and personality that you have there, but she has been doing it herself and finding a way to kind of pinpoint through and you not front facing that, or, you know, uh, uh, Kelly or even Yona, or I I could name all the women's rugby players. That would be just perfect for that. But is that constant lack of a front facing, uh, um, uh, let's say lightning rod for other people. And to add that commercial viability, celebritize, what the rugby players are supposed to be so that there is far greater awareness of that same value proposition and changing up of the culture of what you have to be able to develop on. I, I, I do think that sometimes that humility of rugby, while it's good in terms of teamwork and it's good in terms of club uh, gathering becomes a liability when it comes to marketing and when it comes to uh, actually presenting the the most positive faces of the sport forward?
1: Um, yeah, I think that the – I wouldn't say humility. I think because rugby is so humble here, you know, no no one's got a clubhouse, no one's got a field or a pitch really. Right. Um, even, even the poorest clubs back home are infinitely richer than, club, than a basic club here because they've got more numbers, maybe a, do have a field, maybe a little bar some way to generate revenue or socialize or congregate like we said so so i think that being such a humble sort of starting point we've we've tended to focus too much on the community side of it yeah without without necessarily presenting as well the athletic side of it and and that's really been addressed in the last few years and i think the mlr are doing a good job um and you know i get i mean look we're trying to replace usa rugby i wish all these athletes the best of luck right i want them to win i want american rugby to win i live here i'm yeah. I wanna, i'm getting i'm getting my citizenship but. Right? I want american rugby to win and i think that i can help make that happen i think i can help everyone else be successful in the process i don't think usa rugby are capable of letting that down i think part of it's that humility aspect and 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 that sort of learning process um but i think it's also a capability element they've been running around with their heads cut off for for a decade yeah do you know that and and the reason like why did i open the pub well because ruggers like to drink right right during the Rugby World Cup Sevens, the, the top three selling days records one, two, and three, were the Sevens World Cup for alcohol sales in Giant Stadium. Wow. So that officially, yes, ruggers do outdrink baseball <laughs> everybody else. No, no I remember. getting uh, a really big boat race coming off. We'll do like a four mile boat race. Yeah. <laughs> Bring the four people. Oh, I love it! No, I I, I remember love, back in I remember back in be that beer. <laughs> wait, say that again. I said I'd love to be the one selling that beer. <laughs> I that be
0: no, nice. I remember specifically back in 2014, whenever Scotland came to uh, Houston uh, and USA, uh, the Eagles played um, Scotland in Houston, and I remember specifically. That the city of Houston was not prepared for the level of drinking, and it actually the majority of bars ran out of beers during that time because they were not properly prepared for it. And so, yeah, you're, it is right whether you know how much we want to flex on that uh, overall, but I mean, still, it's 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 that con- conceptualization to what you said. We do spend. There is a
1: spending power. Well, and the we point I was going to gonna make. Sorry, just yeah, because I know I. We're going to move on, probably, but with 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 the with the capability issue, um, one of the one of the elements of the the grievance that I filed was about the process for which this, this, the tournament was awarded to the stadium that it was awarded to, so on and so forth. USA Rugby didn't make a single penny from the concessions of the Rugby World Cup Sevens. Yeah, one penny. Yeah. So when you talk about capabilities and, and things like that. Um, that's not a humility issue. That's
0: it's bad uh, business. This is that's bad a business.
1: Capability issue. Are you capable of negotiating a a proper business deal? Right. One a, a beneficial deal. Because the idea that we just need to get the tournament here and get it done to help boost rugby is largely the same thing that they're touting for the Rugby World Cup 2031. And if if they left to their own devices, they're going to put it all. I mean, I. I suspect, based on what I've learned, um, that the final is going to be in Texas. I think that the push is is towards trying to target crossover athletes from college programs and high school programs in in football-rich environments, which isn't a bad plan, but it completely ignores the existing community and the one that's already flourishing – you're trying to transplant everyone that's a challenge in itself i respect the ballsiness of it you know go to texas and take on football yeah that takes balls i get it but you know that's that's as much a shot in the dark as it is starting rim and the rugby channel because they're trying to give people something that they want them to want rather than give people something they already need the, the rugby community already has plenty of things that we need it's the, it's the same mistake. It's the same mistake. There's no there's no real difference in the people running it, a few different people on the board, but a lot of the same faces. And it's not anything personal. I've got so much respect for them, for, for doing what they're doing and trying their best. But it, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. Yeah. But, I mean, is I... Yeah. I, I get it,
0: but then you see programs like Colorado XO that creates that same existing idea, like of how do we tap into the source? But and I, I I agree with you in terms of like basically I I don't I feel like it's not a one and I think you agree on that it's not a one direction process it's hit it from everywhere simultaneously, but you're just I'm taking it you're saying that you're not even getting one side correct and you're still trying to repeat on trying to just fulfill the other one.
1: Colorado X and O's is a good program and it's a good opportunity for, for guys to continue pursuing their athletic dream. Listen, I'm, I'm doing all of this and, and this job. And one day I want to be able to coach community rugby and be paid well enough to do it. Right. That's why this all exists. And, and I'm pursuing that dream. I'm, I'm never going to say to anyone, don't dare chase your dream. My God, if anyone told you not to, I'd tell them to fuck off. Facts. Right? Like, absolutely go for it. I respect what they're doing. They're all working hard. Coaches, players, the city and staff, right? It's just not going to transfer enough talent to win the Rugby World Cup. I'll give you an example. I grew up at Beckenham Rugby Club. Elliot Daly started there. He now plays for the British and Irish Lions. So he was six to about ten. Then he moved and went to a different club. Then he went to a private school on scholarship called Whitgift. Danny Cipriani went there. Oh, wow. Anyway, that guy's now a British and Irish Lion. I'm 36 years old, so Beckenham Rugby Club's youth program is over 30 years old. And they've produced one British Lion. And that british line lost in the world cup final two years ago to to south africa so, right right so that's why this is all just about scale the mlr and usa rugby or or whatever the national team becomes if it's the the citizens rugby national team right it's still the us the the, the scale of the grassroots organization that we need to build and the infrastructure to support it and maintain it for such a period of time, let alone try and win one in 2031, it's it's enormous. It's so far beyond what most people can imagine. And so when I talk to people about things like this, they just get confused. And it's like, I, I understand that it's a lot, but... You know, if we're talking about winning a World Cup and we're serious, then let's think about the mechanics of what's, what's needed to make that happen. Right. I guess- 99% of USA rugby clubs right now cannot provide running water to their members.
0: No, of course not.
1: You know, so, so that's where our value proposition is there. That's why we can't grow. That's right. why we've got a 50% attrition rate. Half the people that show up to play rugby because they've heard such wonderful things about it, that's a good job with USA Rugby and everyone else because they heard about it, right? Right. But then they show up and after a year they leave because we fail to deliver. You know, are we serious about it or 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 we just – is this a hobby or a lifestyle?
0: Which is where I went back to when it came to the beginning of this is it's not it, – can it be commercially viable? Not – is it not is the resources not there to do it? It's always going to come down to what what is it of the people the people who are involved? You know, even it goes back to even with the old boys. Does is the the process even? Which is why sometimes I'm, I go. I, I I feel like the academies. There's too many academies. I don't really feel like there's too many academies, but at least there's somebody who is trying to show a charge. But all it is is to how many times can we get people to. Keep investing in. It's not always fair. It's not always going. And uh, to be honest with you, getting into the pathway pool, I mean, is is either neither here nor there to me. I, I've learned that if you can connect enough, you can find yourself over to Chula Vista and, and do it. So that's neither here nor there. But it goes back you to you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. But again, it, it it goes back to where you are at the beginning. You you shouldn't have to go to a high performance camp if you have a good local area but if you have a good local area that a means you club in a strong competition exactly but that means that you also the culture also has to be willing to change it which is what we've been saying which is what we've been saying all this time if the, that local culture doesn't want to innovate or doesn't feel like it has a time to support i know here in baton rouge you know we have a, a lady doing amazing work with baton rouge youth rugby but has the hardest time being able to find help from you know even the local club like they they help where they can but it's very sputtering because the value proposition of what the return the value proposition for what the return is is mm, questionable and even at that it means having the patience to be able to develop those youth kids over the course of 10 15 years to actually now show the results you know and people it goes back to that short term, and even when you said the reason why U.S. Americans are so fat, you know, it's it's very short term thinking. Even the way that we do a lot of that corporate short term thinking. So it, it, the culture of it, it has to be reestablished. It has to be re- almost rebirthed. Though I don't believe it needs to be done in mass. I think it just needs to be done in key strongholds. And that will be able to create the resonating effect, where I said again, this is a hierarchy. do we have the highest aspirational clubs? We have the strong middle and then the heavy bottom i right now we have such a heavy bottom that's so much greater than what the middle ground is, and far surpasses what our few high high higher uh, top hierarchy uh team cultures like it's hard to it, it's impossible to do it It's impossible right now because the culture doesn't want to sit for it but that's I mean, why I go,
1: yeah. go ahead. Sorry,
0: yeah. No, no, I was just gonna say that's why it goes if, if, how do we not how do we, but it goes to our focus on empowering, and, and this is where I go empowering not just people into playing rugby, but into creating industry within it with what they already have. I mean, training more broadcasters, training more statisticians. Training more medical staff, training more referees. When you do that and you create that ecosystem, then it creates a value system for people even outside, which is where I also say casuals are needed to come from. And that creates that underbelly where it's like, okay, let me insert so-and-so into it as a player. Because even if they don't finish playing, you have options. And the more options that are available, and that's why I feel is actually the real value from the football, so, the soccer, the NBA, even hockey. It's the value that there was something outside of it. If, if, you, if there wasn't ESPN, we don't get all these former players that we see, okay, there's this. If I, fail, if I don't do here, I go here. If this goes here, this goes there. But I think we, it, it is such a manual process with, done by so few and mechanized upward. Um, but it's probable, but it's just you need to change a culture of specific areas in that yeah. that's the that's when the ecosystem of rugby uh, comes through it at its highest. and that's when I think then you start to see the uh, a, a slow uh, a higher recidivism rate for people to play where they start and they'll stay in it or where you start to see people actually, and even now then it goes to those kit systems where now the number of kit developers makes sense because now you're distributing per region than you are trying to distribute per per nation.
1: Yeah. You know? um, I think it, it just so many people want to continue And and find that there's no way to continue in rugby, that that work moves on to some other avenue. You know, all I wanted to do. Okay, I took me a long time to accept the fact that I wasn't going to be a professional rugby player. Still haven't fully accepted it. Hey, look, man, look, look. You coach, all right. The knowledge is in there. You still got a chance. (laughs) No, but the point the point is like I always just wanted to work in rugby, something that I love. Look, I've I've had depression. I've had anxiety. I've got PTSD, like, I get it. Sometimes life fucking sucks. And sometimes the only thing that's making it better is rugby, right? That's why I, I, I just – I have concerns about the, the right or wrongness of suspending play, even touch. Right. People make their own choices because you don't know what's going on up here. Right. You know, I've had two people um, – from a local club have committed suicide in the last 18 months
0: right
1: right? and 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 you just don't know and I think that Um, I'm really lucky to be able to work in or for rugby you know I'm doing what I went to school for I'm working in sports development I'm trying to grow the game I'm, I'm happy as hell and I'm lucky as hell I don't know if you make any money doing the podcast yet but It's something that you're passionate about because that's the way that you found to work in rugby or for rugby. And I think more, you know, that's the same thing with the MLR guys. Hats off to them. I know how hard, I've known Mark Winneker and and, uh, Coco from from Toronto Arrows since 2008. And I know how hard they worked when they were the blues and they were part volunteering, part probably paying for this crap themselves to get to each stage and then become the Ontario arrows and play the thing and then finally get into MLR, right? Like, it's the same dream. We're all at different stages of it. Agreed. And I think that, you know, part of what I'm trying to do is say, well, it might not be this way right now, but if we all work to grow something, together then these opportunities will will snowball and they will spring from just investing in ourselves you know if you buy and sell kit to yourself and you use that company to subsidize it that's just self-sponsorship
0: right
1: you don't need to go and get begging handing cap to someone else you just self-sponsor right um and you can do that again and again and again across all the vertical markets that you need um that would create a lot of jobs and a lot of opportunities for community rugby players to potentially work as part of the pathway community development officers community rugby coaches training education in partnership with the mlr and and create hubs and, and school programs and club programs and pathways you know we need to share resources there's so little to go around that we need, to, we need to do a better job of, of working together. And, it, and that includes all levels of, of rugby society or participants.
0: No, I, I, I fully agree. I fully agree. And that's, I, I will say this, that's, I, I do feel like that component there has been, and, and that's why I said, over this last eight years, since I started, I've been doing this since 2013, since February 2013. And I think that part I've seen grow in terms of people, stepping in and doing that self-investment like yourself myself my guy ryan ryan ginty with uh next level who's doing the broadcasting for mlr i've seen it you know with even with alex goff once he when he had to separate from rugby magazine uh you know even pat himself jackie as well like we we've seen the little bits and pieces and i see that that seed of industrialization um and it's just it's it's that process, you know. My guys over at Roots Rugby, even with them intercreating these little elements that 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 uh, uh, push that process. So it, I, I think you're you I do agree that you're right. It's there, and it's just us now being more aware of ourselves. And that's why I said I, I see it as the it's the small group needs it, so you create that uh, MVP basically. And then, which is again, what you've been doing, what we're all trying to create that MVP. And then we develop out from there. And, and, and it's just, it's, it is an interesting process. And then it's slowly, that's whenever people copy, rinse and repeat. (laughs) And it's like, at least you're going to copy, rinse and repeat within that element. You know, Uh, the more people who have done online, online stores, I'm very happy about because it's, it was like, guys, you, you guys can sell this. But now it's who do, it's sell it to. You sell it to your own people. Sell it out. Uh, you have it. But
1: um, yeah. Well, but then it takes one of those business owners to be prepared to give up equity to underwrite a lot of this. And Most of them aren't. You know, the advantage that Citizen Sports has over someone like Nike is yeah. that we can do business in certain ways that that they would never ever imagine. Right. If if the CEO of Nike walked in and said, "We're going to give up twenty percent of our equity tomorrow." Right, it'd take about twelve seconds before he was out the front door. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Well, if you want something to grow, keep feeding it.
0: Right.
1: So, so that's how we do it. We have to we have to be willing to sacrifice a certain amount now. You know, there's there's nothing nothing but sweat equity in growing rugby for the next twenty years. Yeah. Nothing but sweat equity. Yeah. yeah man. It'll be worth it. You know, part of the problem with listening to the old boys, as much as there is wisdom in certain things, I think a lot of old boys have maybe maybe a little bit too much influence on, on newer club leadership. You right. think that they led clubs, you know, a lot of clubs now are about 50 years old, but they don't own anything, they can't provide anything other than rugby participation. Well, right. You can get that for free by going to play Touch in the Park with your mates. You don't have to train, you don't have to pay dues, you don't have to buy a kit, you've got to do anything. You don't have to go to a ref you just go and have fun
0: and let people come in and play, but that's like i said it's 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 part of the process and and it's that's why I said this past this pandemic, I do believe it's the beginning of a different era i, I strongly do believe it's the beginning of a different era oh, we, the,
1: we have a we have a much better business model we've got we've got people coming on board no.
0: <laughs> I love it Mick man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm gonna let us close out on that one. We're gonna talk after is this because you know the We'll that's there. We go. Shake this thing. Let's shake this thing, Mick. Man, thank you so much for this, dude. Let people can you let people know where they can find the information uh, of Citizens Rugby and, and even more on the Waking Giant?
1: Uh, is our portal page. You'll find Exile Football Club, Mick Mullins Irish Bar, Citizens Sports, Citizens Travel, Citizens Rugby, and uh, Housing O2, as well as the albuquerque aardvarks they're all of our partners in in crime right now and um we'll be adding many many more uh soon
0: awesome brother thank you so much man dude it's been a legit pleasure Appreciate it, mick thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us i know looking into this uh 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 uh, all blacks and Irish game there's a lot of uh, uh, repetitive action that it looks like and you know I hope that it's it's a little bit of both that I hope that you're right in terms of what we need to do and getting that correct and uh, at the same time hope that you're a little wrong in, in the USA rugby not. Falling into actions that are pattern and are self-destructive. So, uh, guys, it's it's a pleasure. Thank you guys for taking the time to listen. Please, like I said before, please don't forget to like, share, and follow, subscribe to this. And of course, of course, in the meantime, please check out some of our past episodes if you haven't had a shot at doing it. We have some amazing guests uh, coming, uh, amazing guests in the past, and we've had amazing guests coming up. So stay tuned; it's going to be well worth it. And I want you guys to know, most importantly, most. Most, most importantly, I hope that you're happy, I hope that you're healthy, and I hope that you know that you are highly favored. Until next time, cheers.